The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Yo, what you still doing here? Shouldn't you be at home? Stuffing your wife's stocking? I think I'm ready, Javi. For what? Sex? No, for what sex leads to. We were putting up the tree the other day. Jenny says to me, just doesn't feel like Christmas without kids. She wants to try. But I come to work. I watch the news every day. It seems like the world's falling apart. How am I supposed to bring a kid into that? The world's always falling apart, bro. Since the beginning of time. But having kids, making a family, that's what keeps it together. So go home. Make a baby. You ready? Thanks, bro. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And everything will be alright, even though peace on earth has always been an unknown ideal. Peace is not simply the absence of war but the absence of coercion and the use of force and fraud in all of their forms, and there is only one form of governance that fits this description, an unknown ideal that continues to be so even as the world desperately seeks a solution to the problems that it would solve. It's a system in which you will own everything you rightfully earn, and where your happiness is your own to pursue and achieve, not someone else's to provide you with. Unfortunately, that's not a system that exists anywhere on Earth, despite the mass illusion that it is so. As people around the world celebrate Christmas as a symbol of peace on Earth, the reality is that this condition has never reigned in a global sense. Many familiar with the phrase, the unknown ideal, particularly regular listeners to this show, are probably already aware that this is part of the title to Ayn Rand's 1967 collection of essays entitled Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. And of course, capitalism is the system I just described. So if we want to celebrate peace on earth this Christmas, then perhaps we should be celebrating capitalism and everything that it represents. The formula for creating peace on earth is so simple and so straightforward that it defies all logic and reason that there should be any place on the planet where peace does not reign supreme. So, why doesn't it? Let's see if we can find some answers to that question, shall we? Our journey will begin right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, 
and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. This from the book, Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, quote, Capitalism is a social system based on the recognition of individual rights, including property rights, in which all property is privately owned. In a capitalist society, all human relationships are voluntary. End quote. Well, well, it doesn't get much more simple than that, does it? Now compare that accurate definition of capitalism with that of Klaus Schwab, who insists that stakeholder capitalism is a system in which you'll own nothing and be happy. Well, that's the exact opposite of capitalism, but it is much more than that. It is an open declaration by Schwab and all those he represents of an open war against capitalism and for its opposite, slavery. It is also an open declaration of war against epistemology, definitions, and language. In other words, against being able to think and reason. Our understanding of the world and everything around us is based on the definition of the words and concepts that we use. If those definitions are incorrect, then so too is our understanding of the world. So ask yourself this, how is it possible to own nothing? I'm being serious. I mean, to own nothing, not even the clothes on your back or the food you eat. There are only three conditions that meet this criteria. If you own nothing, then you are either one, a prisoner held in captivity by those who own something, or two, a slave who is owned as property by those who own something, or three, dead. Property is ownership. That is why it is integral to the only system suited to human nature, capitalism. And that's without any adjectives. But that's not the only anti-concept in Schwab's declaration. Being happy. Happiness is a consequence of achieving and earning values. The pursuit of happiness is not about the pursuit of finding others to make you happy. So why is capitalism still such an unknown ideal? Well, here are a few reasons. One, people see capitalism strictly as an economic system and not as a moral system, nor even as a system of governance or politics. And it has to be understood in those contexts as well. Number two, capitalism is confused with capitalists who rarely, if ever, advocate capitalism because, hey, who wants competition when you can have state protection from that competition? That, that, that applies whether you're in labor or in business. Number three, oxymoronic concepts like stakeholder capitalism and crony capitalism, which both really mean the same form of fascism, are among the fool's concepts that the unthinking accept uncritically. Number four, capitalism is associated with monopolies, which is not and has never been the case. You know, one of the first realities I confronted back in the 70s when I got involved in politics and governance was discovering this to be true. Even though the monopolies of the time were privately owned and operated, their monopoly status did not arise from successful open and free competition, but from state-sanctioned prohibitions on competition. In other words, crony fascism. Now, 
Those are just a few of the reasons. But stakeholder capitalism, a system in which you own nothing, is an anti-concept. And an anti-concept is one based on the original concept which it seeks to destroy. That is why the word capitalism appears in the concept that means its opposite. Crony capitalism, which should be called crony socialism or just plain fascism, is another anti-concept. Since capitalism, by definition, means an absence of coercion in human affairs, and especially in economic affairs, and since crony introduces the physical force of government into the equation, well, you've got another one of those Marxist contradictions being used as a description of what should otherwise be considered a crime. Now, there are those on the left who will always argue something like, oh, you can just make any word mean whatever you want to, right? Again, projecting what they do and what their state of mind is. The answer to that is, no, you can't, <laughs> particularly when it comes to already established concepts and definitions. If it doesn't relate to reality, then the definition is invalid and does not refer to anything that actually exists. It's useless. People who change definitions to suit their goals and objectives are dishonest and quite often criminal. I didn't steal this car, I just borrowed it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Virginia, there are evil people and evil philosophies that ruin any hope for peace in the world for human beings. In politics, these people are to be found on the left, by definition, and not just by definitions that we can just make up to suit those of us on the right. All leftist ideologies are based on the exact opposite of capitalism and freedom, which are exclusive values of the right, in which those on the right must learn to adopt value and use to spread goodwill and peace among men. When it comes to peace, always remember it takes two to tango. But when it comes to war and conflict, it only takes one malcontent or evil entity to destroy the peace for everyone. But when there are multiple evil entities and ideologies in play, well, watch out. Coming up next, some very sobering insights into the state of the world today with some equally sobering predictions as we head into the Christmas and New Year season before us. From Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson's December 15th discussion with Martin Armstrong, who is widely known for his hauntingly accurate predictions that he makes based on the feedback he gets from his uniquely programmed computer that he calls Socrates. From financial trends to world politics, Armstrong's reputation has opened the doors of world leaders to him, giving him a front row seat to the realities of the world that few of us would ever experience. Mr. Martin Armstrong of Armstrong Economics is here, and he is always able to give us sort of what his machine is telling him and what's going to be happening. And so, Mr. Armstrong, thank you for there in the background. We're very excited to have you here. I see that uh, you've been writing about Twitter and that's to be on everybody's uh, mind these days. Yeah, we're really kind of in this war between left and right and it's happening on a global scale. You know, Twitter really got really out of hand and Putin interfered in the elections. You know, this is exactly what, what the left has been doing. Musk has released documents showing that they, they banned Trump 
for no reason at all, just because basically they didn't like them. That was it. But they still took them off anyhow. I mean, this is the problem we have. Government is assisting various different social media. You know, we think this guy should be taken off this. I mean, that's all illegal. As long as you can keep labels and attaching them to different people, it keeps them divided. So suddenly you're the enemy. It's not the government. And and unfortunately, thing the computer's been projecting for the collapse of all basic governments, really, by 2032. I mean, we've we've just lost it, really. Uh, that's really what's going on. If you really look at history, when Caesar crossed the Rubicon, everybody cheered. It was the Senate that fled to Greece, right? Why would the Senate flee if the people were really supporting them? Republics are the most corrupt form of government possible. They decide if we're going to go to war or not. We don't make those decisions. War is always created by those in power, not by the individuals behind it. Right. Right. I'm kind of sad it's 2032 when all the governments fall. I was hoping that it was 2023. Well, it's starting now. It's going to be a lot between here and there, including a war, etc. These people are absolutely insane, really. They're deliberately creating this proxy war against Russia for climate change. They're not telling the truth any more than they told the truth about going into Iraq, always got weapons of mass destruction that they never found. All right. There isn't one war that they've ever been truthful about. I mean, you can Google on on YouTube and find McNamara uh, and his apology before he died that we were wrong about Vietnam. We should not have been there. It was a civil war. It was not a communism versus capitalism. Uh, and he admits we got it all wrong. 50,000 American soldiers died because of that. All right. Uh, World War One. I. I mean, World War Two. They, they've never ever really been about what they say they're about. World War I is that same region. The bitter hatred there is is just unbelievable. I met with the Yugoslav government before they all fell, and, you know, they were saying, oh, well, they killed 600 of us and threw us in, in a, a common grave. And I thought I just missed something in the news. I said, gee, you know, when did that happen? Oh, about 700 years ago. I said, oh, yes, that one. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, the memories live on. That's the way it is. Ukraine people have no idea. I mean, we've had employees in Donetsk and we've had employees in Kiev. And the two will never talk to each other. We did a conference in, in Greece and the one from Kiev refused to even take a flight back to just connected through Moscow. The hatred there is just, it's ingrained. And you're not going to change it anymore if you go to the Middle East between Sunni and Shiite. That's it. Right. You know, these things are not resolvable. You know, you go, you see it in, in Germany. Um, I was in Bavaria and they said, oh, you know, tomorrow's going to be a holiday. I said, What's, which holiday is this? They said, oh, we won, you know, we won the war. I said, which war are we talking about? And they said, oh, we beat Prussia. I said, oh, okay, that one, you know. Uh, you know, It's kind of like Ireland where, you know, you have the Catholic versus the Protestant, North versus South. And the same thing actually exists in Germany. Uh, they just don't talk about it a lot. Right. But Southern B Bavaria and Austria was, was 
the Holy Roman Empire, you know, Catholic, and the North was the Protestant side. So um, all these countries, they have great diversity. I mean, Italy, it's, I mean, I remember going into a, a bakery in Rome asking for a cannoli, and the guy would practically pull the knife on me. He says, that's not Italian, that's Sigi. I said, oh, excuse me, you know, I mean, to us, it's Italian. Over there, that's Southern, you know, get out of here. They're not really Italian. Right, um, right. What, so what do you think? Every country you go to, it's the same thing. Right. Ukraine is the most corrupt, you know, country in Europe, if not the world. Even the IMF refused to give them more money until they started cleaning up corruption. And if you look at the statements from Zelensky, he argued against the $60 limit on oil, said it should be 30. We have to destroy their entire economy. And then we're going to keep giving this guy, you know, weapons and he will create World War Three. That's it. I mean, the, the hatred there is the same as what created World War One with the Serbs and the Austrians, etc. None of these things, there's, there's just no resolution to it. Right. Do you, do you think that it's almost like we're living in a PSYOP world? Like we have... Uh, more uh, thousands and thousands of the illegal aliens coming in the lower border. It's like we're in a psyop and everyone pretending that it's okay. No, I know. I mean, look, this is mainstream media. But what you have to understand, what I learned, I had the mandate from Hong Kong, actually, to try and negotiate with Australia. They wanted to buy an island and then maybe the upper left-hand corner of Australia. And I was meeting with former Prime Minister Paul Keating and meeting after meeting, and I could not get anywhere. I said, look, you realize I have a checkbook here. I can pay off your national debt. And everything was no, no, no. And I finally just said, is this racist? Because it just nothing made sense. Right. And he said, no. He says, they are fleeing communism and if we allowed them to come in here they would vote conservative and he was a labor governor Rome wants and needs human frontiers We've had to fight long wars. Your burdens have been great. But we come now to the end of the road. Here, within our reach, golden centuries of peace. A true Pax Romana. Wherever you live, whatever the color of your skin, when peace is achieved, it will bring to all, all, the supreme right of Roman citizenship. No longer provinces or colonies, but Rome. Rome everywhere. A family of equal nations. That is what lies ahead. Gods hasten the day.
Bet you never thought that globalists were out to rule the world way back in Christ's time. <laughs> you know, it's a bit scary when you think of it. Just how much everything about the Christmas season, as well as our modern form of government, have to do with the Roman Empire. For all its faults, and there were plenty, Rome discovered structure, wrote Isabel Patterson in The God of the Machine. Quote, it is accurate and consistent to refer to the representational order as architecture and to the political agency in action as mechanism, end quote. Which brings us back to the idea of representation, which in turn brings us to the principle of representative democracy, which almost no one I ever talked to fully comprehends. People have come to believe that the politicians they elect are there to represent their interests. Problem is, everyone has conflicting interests, and any politicians representing one has to oppose the other. Sort of like crony politics, right? And by the way, so-called direct democracy, in which all people vote on all issues, is again not democracy. Many Americans are quick to remind anyone referring to America as a democracy that it is no such thing but a constitutional republic. Martin Armstrong, however, observed that republics are the most corrupt form of government possible. So how do you explain that? Well, I suppose that explains why we hear so much about banana republics. How come that's never mentioned in the insistence that Republican forms of government are superior? And here's a question for you. Where are all the banana democracies? <laughs> we never hear about democracy discussed in this light. In fact, let us never forget Joe Biden's repetitive use of that word, democracy, in his cryptic, insane, fascist speech, where he brought up the word democracy nearly three dozen times. It's not the governments that are corrupt, per se. It's the people who occupy those institutions that are corrupt. And this distinction has to be made so as to understand where the fault and responsibility for this sad state of affairs actually lies. In her essay, The Roots of War, which also appears in Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal, Ayn Rand described, quote, The bankrupt yet still dominant political philosophy of our age is statism. It is the doctrine that force is a proper or unavoidable part of human existence and human societies. Statism is a system of institutionalized violence and perpetual civil war. The degree of statism in a country's political system is the degree to which it breaks up the country into rival gangs and sets men against one another. When individual rights are abrogated, there's no way to determine who's entitled to what. In order to survive under such a system, men have no choice but to fear, hate, and destroy one another. It is a system of underground plotting, of secret conspiracies, of deals, favors, betrayals, and sudden bloody coups. Statism, in fact and in principle, is nothing more than gang rule. It is not a system conducive to brotherhood, security, cooperation, or peace. And when Armstrong referred to people still carrying grudges about 600 dead 700 years ago, well, this kind of hatred emanates from the collective and from collectivism, where you have one group hating another group. So consider just how backwards and primitive and empty that collectivism is. Collectivism is an illusion. That's why every time it is tried, it cannot help but fail. 
There are no collectives with collective minds. There are only individuals who control large groups of people by force, which pretty much defines collectivism in a way that coincides with reality. For the second year in a row, the Christmas trees are going up early round my way. More and more households that would, in the world of before, have waited until the second or third week in December before decking the halls, have already gone the whole nine yards with the trees and twinkly lights. We're doing likewise in our house. I won't lie, I love it, every bit of it. I love Christmas, always have and always will. In every conceivable way, Christmas is light in a time of darkness. And for many of us, that light has never been more welcome and so can't come soon enough. Especially since the festival is once again under attack by the joyless division. In line with what has become a tradition of the season in benighted Britain, yet another bunch of interfering, patronising preachers of the witless cant of diversity and inclusivity have decided it's their turn to take a pop at Christmas. Bristol-based Watch This Space, describing themselves as an inclusion consultancy, heaven help us all, have scored some free publicity by calling on organisations to rethink Christmas on account of how all those of other faiths feel left out in December. I really don't think those of other faiths feel left out at all. I'm certain the vast majority of those of other faiths are perfectly fine with Christians enjoying Christmas. The same way I have no issue whatever with Diwali and Eid and the rest of the religious festivals that genuinely matter to those of faith, and that it is only those that could and deliberately would start a fight in an empty house that want to persuade everyone that Christmas is exclusive and only bad news. For generations, every school in Britain has put on a nativity play. The youngest amongst us are invited to play the parts of Mary and Joseph, the angel, the shepherds, the three wise men. In every school hall is recreated a scene from a village in the Middle East. The people being enacted by children are people of the Middle East. How inclusive and diverse, you might say. It's always Christianity that the nouveau bullies target, in the same way that all bullies have always done, which is to say, single out the one that won't hit you back. The tolerance of Christianity and Christians has been a red rag to a bull, and for years it has been open season on Christmas, on the utterly spurious grounds that someone somewhere might be offended by cards, carols and Santa Claus. But hey, it's only Jesus worshipped by two and a half billion Christians as divine, the Son of God. So take up the slings and arrows and do your worst. That latest call to cancel Christmas came hard on the heels of heresy, spiteful childish mewling by a junior research fellow of Trinity College in Cambridge University about Jesus having, and I quote, a trans body. The sticky palmed adolescent piffle was then backed up by the dean of the college so ensuring more headlines at the expense of followers of the world's largest religion. All of this latest mischief-making is just more of the same, which is to say the determination of the empowered elite systematically to remove every last foundation stone of Western civilization, while simultaneously showing us, reminding us, who they think is boss. Having excited themselves by stripping away under the egregious wrong of lockdown, so much of what it has meant to be human and alive in this part of the world, the usual suspects are determined to keep going until the job is done. Christianity and the family are still standing, and so the attacks must continue. Lockdown was about draining the joy out of life, every last bit. 
It was about keeping people apart and alone. It was a relentless campaign of fear by authority figures who felt no fear themselves because they knew there was nothing to fear and so broke all their own rules. Now it's about bidding farewell to the very stuff of life, warmth in winter, nourishing food. Stop driving to save the world. Stop flying to save the world. How long before they come for the twinkly lights and crackers as well? The powers that be are about nothing less than making life dull and flat for we proles. The truth is that none of this is to be taken lightly, far less ignored. The relentless erosion of Christmas and Christianity itself is essential for those whose mission it is to unmake Britain and the West. It is nothing less than the deliberate snuffing out of the light of the world. That anyone would ever seek to silence those who want to celebrate Christmas is beyond sinister in my eyes. Because the story at the heart of Christmas is also the story at the heart of humanity and the best of human nature. It's a simple story about a family, indeed the making of a family by the birth of a baby. It's about a baby born into the most humble of circumstances, in a barn for animals, dependent upon the kindness of strangers. Why would anyone good and honest want to take issue with the simplicity of the family and all that the family has meant and continues to mean Except, of course, that the family is the ultimate obstacle for those intent on resetting the world away from the human and in favour of the machine. Again and again, those who have it in mind to establish centralised, top-down control of populations have targeted the family as the final stumbling block in their path. Always, however, the family has prevailed because the desire for family life is innately human. Worst of all of the anti-human behaviour is the turning upon children the exploitation of those most vulnerable and deserving of our protection. I don't mean to imply this behaviour is anything new, rather it is simply more blatant and shameless. We catch glimpses of the danger, most recently in the ad campaign by fashion house Balenciaga that set tiny children in sexual contexts, and we dismiss such threats at our ultimate peril. From drag queen story time to questionable sex education in classrooms, the normalisation of the sexualization of children is well underway. For those in search of a hill to die on, might not the defence of the innocence of children be the one? The Christmas story is fundamentally about hope. For human beings, there can be no greater gift or reason for hope than the birth of a child. There can be no greater imperative than the urge to protect that child, all children, against all threats. During lockdown, rules were put in place to keep families apart, to separate children from grandparents. They're still pushing their jabs on children. Attempts were even made at that time to cancel Christmas, not that me and mine paid them a blind bit of notice. Faith leaders not worthy of the name complied with diktats that closed churches and so denied needful people access to the comfort and sustenance of holy places when they were most wanted. Believe or don't believe, but the Christmas story is undeniably a message of hope and family and love and about the arrival in the darkness of a bright and warming light, it is worth remembering that the light is always there, even if it is out of sight. Well, Castle, looks like you might have been right. Maybe there is a Santa Claus after all. Whether there's a Santa Claus or not, that's not why I love Christmas. When I was a kid, no matter how bad things got, my mother always managed to make Christmas Eve magical. Every year, she would put on the Nutcracker Suite. 
And I thought, if she can do that in our tiny apartment when money was tight and we were alone, give me hope that things could get better. I love that feeling, that sense of hope. It's crazy, you know. On the shortest, darkest days of the year, people of all faiths celebrate the light. Plus, who doesn't love presents? <laughs> Listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. We must never forget that when we use quote unquote representative words and phrases like shining candles into the dark or Christmas is light in a time of darkness or even a deliberate snuffing out of the light in the world, what is actually meant by the darkness and the light? The darkness is blind emotion, ignorance, and the evil that arises when irrationality takes root and people cease to think rationally. The light is the light of reality, of reason, of knowledge, and the morality that necessarily arises when the light of reason reveals the choices with which we are confronted. Persuasion and consent, or force and compliance. And here's a side issue I've been meaning to address on the matter of the so-called sexualization of children. Now, I fully understand and agree with all of those who are condemning what they're calling the sexualization of children. I get it, but I think you're all using the wrong term, and in the process, undermining some of your arguments against false gender identities. The kids aren't being sexualized. They're being desexualized to the point that they don't even know if they're a boy or a girl anymore, and that's not being sexualized. They are being stripped of their sexual identities. The kids aren't being sexualized. They're being eroticized. A big difference. And the implications here are enormous, but I hope some of you may appreciate my epistemological distinction here. The world crises, however many there may be, are all rooted in a broader epistemological crisis. Or in other words, people have forgotten how to think. And this is something that can easily be traced back in history. Since the advent of public schools, again, yet another euphemism for state-run schools, the education and comprehension level of graduating students has been on a spiraling decline. Each generation dumbed down more and more and made less and less individualistic. This is an issue with which both Robert Vaughn and I were heavily involved with back in the early 90s. It was all about literacy, one of the main reasons Robert ran for the Board of Education here in London, Ontario, and was elected for two consecutive terms, after which he decided not to seek a third. The battle was over teaching children how to read, and the methods in conflict were what were being called whole language on the one side, the left, and phonics on the other, the right. So you can well imagine why my blood pressure just went through the roof when I ran into this London Free Press article published on December 16, written by Heather Rivers, and which appeared under the headline, Evidence-Based Changes to Reading Instructions Coming. And listen to this, and I quote, London area school boards are changing the way they teach pupils to read following an inquiry into human rights violations of pupils in Ontario's education system. 
In October 2019, the Ontario Human Rights Commission launched a public inquiry into people's right to read, seven years after a groundbreaking decision by the Supreme Court of Canada recognizing that learning to read is a basic human right. Oh my God. The Ontario Inquiry's final report released in February found school boards were using outdated science to teach kids literacy skills and, quote, too many kids were not reading well, end quote. This leaves students at risk for significant lifelong difficulties, the report said. Thames Valley School Board was one of eight English language public school boards selected to participate in the inquiry, says Kevin Auckland, Superintendent of Student Achievement. The report emphasized the importance of increasing instruction in foundational word reading skills and released 157 recommendations for Ontario school boards, faculties of education, and the education ministry. Imagine having 157 things, you've got it correct. When the inquiry began, standardized testing showed 25% of Ontario's grade 3 pupils were falling short of the provincial reading standards, which were already a disgrace. The number soared to 53% for pupils with disabilities such as dyslexia. Thames Valley District School Board recently released a report highlighting steps taken to improve literacy skills for pupils. Auckland said the Thames Valley Board was well-positioned when the report came out because it already was implementing significant changes to the way reading was taught in primary grades. School boards in Ontario had been using a curriculum that was last revised in 2006, he said. What came out of the right to read inquiry was that in Ontario we were doing good things but there were areas we needed to do differently, Auckland said. It was really around those early skills for students. We now know so much more about evidence-based approaches and practices that need to be in place. I don't even know what to say to this. In 2021, Thames Valley installed sound walls where pe- <laughs> I can't believe this. In 2021, Thames Valley installed sound walls where pupils practiced the sounds of the letters by associating them with picture cards hung on the wall in primary classrooms. In 22-23, an early literacy plan was implemented and the school board hired and trained a number of classroom literacy support teachers to work one-on-one -on -one with struggling pupils. We began the year with explicit training for those classroom literacy support teachers so they can do a small group instruction with students that need support, said Tammy Vacante, Thames Valley System Principal for Literacy. <laughs> they also implemented staff training in October, Auckland said. It was the first professional activity day that focused truly on literacy, he said. The focus was how do children learn to read. That is really, really key. Also, Thames Valley has created its own phonics program, which was one of the missing pieces for Thames Valley, Auckland said. That systematic approach needed to be embedded in the curriculum. A new curriculum is expected to be released by the Education Ministry in the spring, he said. Carolyn Musio, a London District Catholic school-based facilitator, said its pupils are now using decodable books in their studies, which focus on sounds rather than pictures where students will guess words. We are systematically and explicitly teaching kids sound correspondences and they practice by reading textbooks that have those sounds in them, she said. What we're helping them do is pay attention to the letter sounds in the word as opposed to the past when we would use picture cues and quote. Ladies and gentlemen, our kids are being educated by imbeciles, idiots, monsters. 
Taxpayers are being forced to pay billions into an education system that still doesn't even have a clue how to teach the most basic of skills that were traditionally home-taught and always resulted in literacy. The first professional activity day that focused truly on literacy? Are you guys friggin' kidding me? What is this outdated science that they're talking about? I'll tell you. Here's what I've already concluded from that same article. It's not science, and it's not outdated because they're still using it. It's still whole language, and they are still messing with definitions to hide their evil and incompetence. This is from the official newsletter of the Freedom Party of Ontario. Written by yours truly in July 1992 in Freedom Flyer under the heading, What is Whole Language? Subheading whole language and the politics of reading, and I quote myself, quote, A growing mountain of evidence shows that the whole language philosophy is based on a number of verifiably incorrect and false assumptions, leaving it more accurately defined as an education cult, one that fails to prove objective results. The cult of whole language, though not the term, has been around in North America for much longer than the public educators care to admit. Over the years, variants of the whole language philosophy have been referred to as universal instruction, visual method, sight reading, top-down, whole-to-part, top-to-bottom, real books, Aldean method, Scott Forsman method, whole language, psycholinguistics, and the alternative approach, among others. The confusion created by constantly changing the terms that all refer to the same philosophy has been the main tactic by which whole language has survived in the public school system. Over the years, instead of abandoning one of the above-mentioned teaching techniques, whenever it was discovered by the parents to be ineffectual, educators using the technique simply changed the name to create the illusion that the old technique had been abandoned or improved upon. Whole language is simply one of the later terms given to an education philosophy that is continuing to produce poor results, most visibly in the teaching of literacy skills. The only thing that makes the term whole language more significant than previously used terms is the unprecedented number of parents, students, and educators who have come to identify that specific term with the increasingly poor literacy skills of public school graduates. In other words, Whole language is a term that the public can identify with. Already, local school boards and the Provincial Ministry of Education are making new efforts to redefine whole language to make it sound more appealing to its detractors. Whole language, we're now being told, includes and prescribes graphophonics, yet another term to add to the growing list of whole language aliases, and one calculated to appease supporters of the phonics-based approach to literacy, end quote. Well, it never ends, does it? But when did this literacy fraud begin? Now it gets scary, earlier than any of us would like to think. This again, from Isabel Patterson's God of the Machine. By the way, it was copyright in 1943, but not published by her estate until 64. And this appeared in an article about progressive education entitled, Our Japanized Education System. Bear in mind that this passage was written in the first half of the last century about a Japanese culture that existed pre-World War II. In fact, one of the books about Japan that Patterson referenced was published in 1894, which all serves to make what I'm about to read even more chilling, because what she is describing here 
is the consequence of this teaching method of reading. They didn't call it whole language then. Instead, and here I shall quote Isabel Patterson, quote, The prevailing philosophy with which pupils are indoctrinated is that of instrumentalism, which denies that there can be any universal or permanent moral values or standards. The most striking result in the pupils is a sinister absence of moral freedom. Listen to this. Neither evidence nor logic penetrates the fog in which they have been reared. It is difficult to bring one to any conclusion when detached from the group. They will say, well, I just don't think so, as if there could be no facts or connected mental processes which should lead to one opinion rather than another or distinguish a conviction from a taste. They have an impression that, quote-unquote, everything is different now from anything that may have been in the past, though they have no idea how or why. Do not two and two make four? Does not a lever operate on exactly the same principle today as it did for Archimedes? They do not quite know. They may say, oh, I don't agree with you, but they can give no reason for dissent. They are, quote-unquote, not quite convinced, but they can offer no argument in rebuttal. That is to say, when called upon to think, they cannot, because they have been trained to accept the class, the group, or the social trend as the sole authority. They have been reduced to neural processes in a collective body instead of persons. End quote. Like I said, chilling. We are witnessing the same process today before our very eyes. And when we take this description into account, along with our understanding of the phenomena like mass formation, well, need I say more? Ain't so much what people don't know that gets them into trouble, it's what they do know that just ain't so. Here again are Laura Lynn and Martin Armstrong. You said, hell in 2023, recession, civil unrest, but Schwab will fail. I'm, I'm happy to hear. Uh, do, you, do you still feel that? Because now we're a few months more past that. What do you say? Yeah, and you have to understand, this is not my opinion. Centralized governments always fail. That's the whole problem with, you know, communism, why it didn't work. And, and so Schwab is going to fail, too, because these ideas have been tried many times and they've never worked even once. You have to understand we're in a proxy war they really want to destroy Russia. Russia is not this pyrrhalistic idea, this complete nonsense. And uh, it, it's really uh, out to destroy Russia because of climate change. And they will instigate something that will involve Europe, like NATO, etc., next year. And then once that gets started, then the United States will use that as the excuse to go in. All right. So we're looking at this probably getting much worse globally around 2025. Wow. Uh, but so we're, we're looking at a start. A couple rough years ahead of us. Oh, yes. No, we definitely do. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's also um, nuts at, at this stage in the game. Uh, and. It just keeps getting worse and worse. I mean, it, you know, Biden is the perfect president for them because he just reads whatever's on the cue cards. <laughs> it's the people behind him that have the agenda. And do you think that's and, Obama? 
Do you think Obama's no, not really. This is is climate change zealots. They're completely insane. And what's going on? They feel they have to rush and destroy as much of of fossil fuels as possible. In case the the other side ever gets back in, they won't be able to reestablish it. This is why they they want to destroy Russia. 50% of its GDP is all fossil fuels. They blew up the pipeline. Anything they can do to to basically shut down this is just insane. The latest thing that just came out, they're now pushing for a 10-knot speed limit on boats because they might hit a whale. <laughs> all up and down the entire East Coast. You're going to kill the fishing industry. That ends deep sea fishing as a sport as well as the industry. And and you're talking about 150 miles out into the ocean. They do this carte blanche attitude always. When they put in Obamacare, uh, I have Blue Cross and Blue Shield. All right. And then they called me and said, well, we have to cancel your policy. I said, what's the problem? Well, you don't have maternity leave. I said, well, I don't think I'm going to get pregnant unless I go to California, maybe. But they had to change my policy. I had to get supposedly maternity leave. And then they sent me cards for for my kids. I said, I don't have kids, little kids. And they said, oh, you're not paying anything more for it, but you have to have it by law. The, The truth here is they want war. And the real issue is that They've been borrowing money since World War II every year, and they never have any intention of paying anything back. So what's happening here is that the financial system is collapsing. The central banks can't control inflation or anything anymore. What you have to understand is when Keynesian economics was came into play and during the Depression, U.S. government had a balanced budget. The private sector, we were the ones that are speculating, etc. So the idea of, of raising and lowering interest rates to impact demand made sense. But today, the government is the biggest borrower on the landscape. If they raise interest rates, it only increases their spending. It's just complete insanity. So the central banks are in a, you know, they're up against the wall. They cannot stop this type of inflation because it's based on shortages, which were set in motion by COVID. So if we get a new government, we get uh, Donald Trump back, potentially 2024 or or whomever. Is there a way to fix this? Probably not. They're they're trying to create war probably uh, as early as next year. But the scenario is that U.S. is not going to like do a, a first strike or something like that. They want to pretend that they have the white hat. So they're talking about sending Patriot missiles over there. And Ukraine is, is the most distrustful government, period. I mean, they will fire them and then claim that you know Russia shot at them first or whatever. I mean, they will start World War III. And I think the U.S. knows that. And so does NATO. NATO's basically told Poland uh, to double its its military, uh, going from 110 to 250,000 people. They're doing this all along. And what we hear is, oh, to stop Russian imperialism, which is a complete nonsense. And Ukraine is just out for war, for blood. That's it. And the West is encouraging that. 
I can confirm that Zelensky was told not to negotiate for peace at all. The foreign minister of Romania quit in protest. He said nobody will even discuss peace. Henry Kissinger's come out and basically said every president before Biden had always invited him to the White House, not Biden. There are no Ukrainian coins. Why? Because Ukraine was never a country before. The first coins you see that even had anything Ukraine on were issued by the Nazis. The Nazis got them to, to join them on the promise that they will create Ukraine. And the Donbass that they're trying to attack was a civil war started by the West. As soon as 2014 happened, an interim government appointed by the West, not elected, immediately sent troops to attack the Donbass. And you have two Russian leaders, Khrushchev and Brezhnev. They were born there. Khrushchev is the one who rebuilt Kiev after World War II. So you're, you're saying this is Ukraine? All the people there, at least 80% speak Russian. This is where they've lived for centuries. It, it's just they will never admit a mistake. Well, we must establish what our position is. Good. Now, what are the facts? I'm discussing our position. The facts are neither here nor there. <laughs> See, all right, well, what's our position? Well, we must just choose one of the five standard excuses to deal with each one of their allegations, a different one for each, if possible. Five standard excuses? Yeah. First, there's the excuse we used, for instance, in the Anthony Blunt case. Yes, which one? Uh, that there's a perfectly satisfactory explanation for everything, but security forbids its disclosure. Second, there's the excuse we use for comprehensive schools, that it only went wrong because of heavy cuts in staff and budget, which stretched supervisory resources beyond their limits. But that's not true, is it? No, it's a good excuse. <laughs> then there's the excuse we use for Concord. It was a worthwhile experiment, now abandoned, but not before it had provided much valuable data and considerable employment. But that is true, isn't it? Oh, no, of course it isn't. <laughs> four. There's the excuse we used for the Munich Agreement. It occurred before certain important facts were known and couldn't happen again. What important facts? Well, that Hitler wanted to conquer Europe. <laughs> I thought everybody knew that. Not the Foreign Office. <laughs> five? Five. There's the charge of the Light Brigade excuse. It was an unfortunate lapse by an individual which has now been dealt with under internal disciplinary procedures. <laughs> and that covers everything? Well, just about everything so far. <laughs> Even wars? Yeah, small wars. <laughs> or maybe just proxy wars. And it certainly isn't a peaceful world that Martin Armstrong is predicting for us, is it? Many religious and philosophical people are calling for some kind of abandonment of politics and government, and certainly of politicians, and for the adoption of a moral and or religious code of values that is, quote-unquote, the answer to solving the dilemma of bringing peace on earth to mankind. You know, follow the golden rule. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Which, by the way, is based on the virtue of selfishness. Goodwill towards men. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. But wishes and goodwill and hope 
will not make the necessity of government disappear, nor make good government a reality. As long as the people who share a common good will towards one another keep avoiding politics and government, then those instruments of law and force will always be in the hands of those who do not wish good will upon others. And there are more of those folks out there than any of us would like to believe. Few as they are, in comparison to the majority, the world is, and always has been, ruled or governed by a minority few, the so-called elite. So the real choice we constantly face is whether or not the elite who find themselves in that position are Klaus Schwab types or Thomas Jefferson types. History doesn't really repeat itself as we so often like to believe. People have just been doing what they've been doing since the beginning of time and will keep doing it until they do something different, which will then become an assumed pattern of history that's repeating. To quote from our show opener, the world has always been falling apart since the beginning of time. People never learn from history because history is merely the demonstration, not the lesson that needs to be learned. Lessons of this nature are learned only from one field of human study, and that is philosophy. But even so, the implementation of any and all forms of human philosophy requires government and the political apparatus necessary for the governed to access it. So if you want to live in a free society, then never forget that the purpose of government is to protect your freedom of choice and not to restrict it. The function of government is to act as the referee and not as a player in the game either of life or of freedom. And then you'll understand why peace on earth and capitalism still remain an unknown ideal. Uh, I was just coming to see you. I was coming to see you. What about your shift? I got Karpowski to cover. What about your family tradition? Um, I was just thinking it's time for a new tradition. Me too. Oh, for God's sakes, Richard. Invite the girl in. Right. Would you? Yeah. It's beautiful. What? And if that isn't our cue to leave the room, I don't know what is. Hey, still a few shopping days left until Christmas, and only seven days before you are invited to join us again, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and have a Merry Christmas. See you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. And the PM's getting far too keen on keeping the White House happy. Oh, dinner, dinner, dinner. So, how can I help? Well, there are a couple of things coming up where he might need guiding in the right direction. Mm. One of them is St. George's Island. Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. yes um, remind me, would you, Dick? <laughs> well, as you know, it's one of the few islands in the Indian Ocean to stay in the Royal Commonwealth after independence. Oh, yes, that's, that's right. It's quite uh, democratic, too, isn't it? Yes, free elections and everything. Mm. But there's a group of Marxist guerrillas in the mountains somewhere. 
and we're getting reports that they're planning a coup. Oh, well, these things will happen. Yes, but <laughs> they're not thinking of starting it on their own. They're going to be helped by East Yemen. East Yemen, isn't that a democracy? Its full name is the People's Democratic Republic of East Yemen. Oh, I see, so it's a communist dictatorship. <laughs> 